You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Morning, church. Good to see you this morning. Uh, I'm Jake, our associate pastor here at Hill City. I oversee our live groups and our worship. And man, it's been such a good morning of worship. I, I lead worship most weeks. It's such a privilege for me to just be um, receiving, you know, get to be uh, led by this team right here. We have incredible um, volunteers and musicians. Can we just give them a hand and honor them this morning? Um, so today we are continuing on in our first Timothy series, uh, and today we're actually not talking about something controversial, <laughs> um, you know, like women's roles, modesty, all that stuff, but we are talking about demons, so that's fun. That's something. Um, we come to this point today in First Timothy. It's like kind of the hinge point. That's our passage, our verse, between pass- uh, chapters 1 through 3 and 4 through 6, and really everything hangs on these few verses in 1 Timothy. This is like Paul's entire purpose for writing the book. Uh, That's what he's going to reveal today. But before we get to that, let me ask you this. Does teaching true doctrine matter? Does does believing true doctrine matter? Uh, Maybe a different way to put that because our culture is like, you doctrine, what's that word? Gross. Um, What do you believe? Does it matter what you believe? Um, In the 1960s, as Christianity kind of began to um, decline in the U.S., um, it was young, actually, people who grew up in Christian homes who began to follow more Eastern religions. And then through the 70s, 80s, 90s, that kind of devolved into New Ageism, like people following New Age philosophies and ideas and practices. And then I say that's devolved. We took that to the next extreme here in the 2020s. Um, We've taken it to a pluralism and a relativism that hasn't been seen before, where basically everybody has their own religion, their own truth. Um, What we see is is this idea of pluralism, where it's not just like religions coexisting together in a society, but it's it's more this idea that there uh, are many ways to God, right? All paths lead to God. Maybe you've heard that before, or to the gods, or whatever spirituality you want. Um, But today, it's it's even further than that. Um, Everybody has their own individual truths and doctrines and beliefs and lifestyles and practices, and you better not say anything against anyone's personal truths. Truths. Um, Lifeway Research last year conducted this survey in which they found that 7 in 10 Americans, so this is not just like Christians, this is Americans, 67% say God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, Islam. For 60% of U.S. adults, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It's not objective truth. So that's our culture today, right? That our culture doesn't, it says, it doesn't really matter what you believe. There is no objective truth. You do you, believe what you want to believe. Whatever feels right to you, do that. As long as it aligns with your true self, um, your personal values, then you can have a clear conscience. You're fine. You do you. And that's kind of that postmodern mind and world that we live in right now. Individualistic beliefs, behaviors, lifestyles, um, 
kind of individualistic religions. But what happens uh, when everybody has their own truths and then those truths begin to contradict each other, right? So whose truth is actually the truth? Bless you. Blessings. Um, <clears throat> whose truth is actually the truth? If everyone has their own beliefs, their own truths, then that kind of contradicts the idea of truth altogether, right? Um, how about this? If somebody is living out their truth and that results in bringing harm, evil, bad things into other, somebody else's life, who's to say that's wrong? Right? Who's to say what is right and wrong all together? Um, in today's passage in Ephesus, where Timothy is, Paul's writing to Timothy uh, and the Ephesian church, there are these false teachers who have their own truths, who are teaching what is right and wrong in their own eyes. And as they do so, they're leading people astray, leading people away from the gospel. And sometimes I think that might be a little bit easier to, like actually in their day, if you're, if you're thinking about it, like they're in the church, right? And there's people like straight up teaching false things from right here, right? And it'd be easier to be able to see that, especially as leadership, with our own eyes to see the false teacher and hear what they're teaching rather than today, you're just two clicks away. Today, you're just two clicks away from a podcast or a blog article or a YouTube video series that is going to contain false teaching and, and begin to potentially lead you astray. And we as a leadership, we can't address every single video and blog article and whatnot that's, that's out there, right? Like, we don't, we don't have the ability to do that. And what you'll notice in, in a lot of these false teachings is that it's not just like blatantly false, right? Although there's some of that out there. Uh, not everything is blatantly false. It's usually uh, God's truth mixed with the lies of the world or this relativistic, pluralistic um, mindset. And that's kind of Satan's favorite way to lie is half-truths, right? So let me ask you, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Are you, are you believing the truth? Are you living out the truth? Or are you believing and practicing what actually Paul would call the teaching of demons? Yeah, we're going to get there. Buckle up. It's going to be a fun time, okay? So open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 14 through 15, Paul's purpose statement for the letter. Uh, and it says this. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So Paul's saying, Timothy and the church in Ephesus, hey, I, I want to come to you guys. I want to come see you. Hopefully that's soon. But if I have to be delayed and I can't make it, I I'm writing this to you so you know something very specific. So that you know, this is the whole purpose statement for the letter, how a Christian ought to behave in the household of God. Uh, and this comes right on the heels of the last few weeks of us talking about elders, talking about deacons, uh, and the leaders in the church. And the leaders' roles in the church, especially the elders, is to root out false teaching, to uphold the truth, and then to live out a godly Christian lifestyle as an example to the rest of the congregation, how Christians should behave and conduct themselves. Look to your leaders. And remember that, like, last week... 
Um, Josh talked about how many of the qualifications, they're actually not about competencies, but they're more about character, right? It's more about who you are and how you're living. It doesn't matter how skilled a person is in preaching or teaching or any other spiritual gift. If you don't have the character, then you're not qualified to be a leader in the church. And if you remember last week, Josh said that these characteristics, these behaviors, um, they're, they're not exclusive. They shouldn't be exclusive to just leaders in the church, right? These apply to, to everyone. Um, take a look at these. 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 9. These are the qualifications. Be above reproach. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, well thought of by outsiders, dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Shouldn't we all be doing that? Right? Shouldn't every single one of us try to be living those things out, those qualifications for leaders in the church? That's just Christian character, right? That's like Christ-like conduct. Um, That's what we should all be doing. And Paul's specific point here is that's not what the false teachers are doing. They're not living those things out. They're their doctrine has actually led them to live in a lifestyle that is not in accordance with Jesus. And so Paul's saying, mimic the behavior, the character, the characteristics of your leaders, of the leaders, uh, the qualified elders and deacons who are striving to be like Jesus, unlike the false teachers who are straying away from Jesus. That's how Christians ought to behave in the household of God. So he says this, this word, this phrase, household of God. Is he talking about a, a building? Is he talking about a, a structure or like a literal house? No, right? He's talking about the family of God. He's already used this word to talk about like somebody's actual family of origin in 1 Timothy 3 with the qualifications. He says, an elder must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And so just as there are actual family households, that's how the church is supposed to function, is like a family. We are family. That's one of our, that's our first core value as a church. If you look on our website, we are family. And there are specific types of conduct and behavior, characteristics and character that's fitting for a Christian in the household of God. Now, when we hear that word behavior, right? That's one of the key words in this passage. When we hear that word behavior, it makes us a little cringy. It's like, ugh, behavior, like be on your best behavior, little boy. It's like, you know, little missy, those those behaviors have consequences. Like we we hear that and we're like, ugh, behavior. And there's reason, there's good reasons for us to be cringy on that. Um, There's something called the behavior modification gospel, okay? Which is really no gospel at all. The behavior modification gospel only looks to, ex- uh, <clears throat> to change the exterior rather than the interior. It looks to change those external behaviors rather than transforming the heart, right? And that, is that the gospel? No, that is not the gospel. That is religion. That is moralism. That is legalism, which we're going to get into later in next chapter. Uh, That behavior modification gospel makes us think, you know, if my behavior is good, 
then God will accept me, which is totally false. Like, that's what produces Pharisees. And on the flip side of it, same coin, is if I screw up one time, then I'm going to hell. Well, that's not the gospel either, right? Can I show you the gospel? This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. I say that a lot, but this one legitimately is. Um, Titus 3. So this is one of the other pastoral epistles that Paul is writing. Um, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then Titus. And this is the gospel, okay? Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. Okay, so our lives actually were full of bad behavior. When you look at your, Christ, your life BC, right, before Christ, you can see, yeah, there's a lot of behaviors there that weren't good. But, and here's the gospel, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, who saved us? He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, not because of our good behavior, good works, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And because of his grace, he made us right in his sight. He gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. And this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good, right? And these teachings are extremely important. It does matter what you teach. It does matter what you believe. A born-again Christian will want to do, devote themselves to doing good. And he says these teachers, these teachings are good and beneficial for everybody. So these false teachings from the false teachers, right? They're not leading people to truth. They're not leading people to doing good. But correct teaching leads people to the gospel. And it results in that Christ-like behavior, that desire to do good. False teaching leads people to moralism, to religion, to this behavior modification gospel. And that's exactly what we're going to see later in chapter 4. But none of that is actually the true gospel. What we just read is the true gospel. Jesus is the one who has saved us. He has poured out his grace, his mercy, his riches upon us, giving us eternal life through what he has done on the cross, not because of what we have done. Amen? That is the gospel. So let me ask you, have you been believing the true gospel? Or have you been believing some behavior modification gospel, some legalism, some moralism, some maybe even a different religion altogether? Have you been just going your own way, um, saying, I don't need you, God, and just living your own life without him in denial and rejection of him? If that is you, today is the day of salvation. Like, you can give your life to Jesus today and receive everything that we just read in that beautiful gospel passage in Titus. You can give your life today and receive salvation, receive his grace, receive mercy, receive that new life, a fresh start. And not only that, new life that extends all the way through eternity. That is what is available to you today. And so at the end of service, if that's you and you want that, 
come down to the front because our prayer team is going to be right up here ready for you. Um, If you have yet to get baptized, sign up today. Baptism at the River is coming up in just a few short months. We already have over a handful of people who are signed up to go down into the waters of baptism, be buried with Christ, and be raised to new life with Him. And if you want that, come talk to us. Sign up for baptism today. Uh, Friends, everything we do is in response to the gospel, right? It's not to get the gospel. It is because we have received the gospel, we now respond with living a life that looks like Jesus. Our Christ-like behavior, Christian conduct, godly lifestyle is all a result of giving our hearts and our lives to Jesus. Because God actually, he does care about our behavior, doesn't he? I mean, that's kind of obvious in these few verses. He does care about our behavior, but not simply for external appearances. It's because he saved us to become more like Jesus in this dying, lost, and broken world. This is one of the main points for today. The good news about Jesus ought to result in becoming like Jesus. God saves you, not so that you can just stay where you are, stay in your sins, but he has a whole new life for you. A life that is, as he says, full, rich, satisfying. I came that they might have life and life abundant. That's what Jesus has for you. Are you going to live into that? Man, the good news, let it sink into your soul and let that produce this godly lifestyle to become more like Jesus. Here's our discipleship path. You've seen it a thousand times, okay? I get that. But look at this bottom part. Um, This is our discipleship steps. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, to do what Jesus did. If you're doing these things all with Jesus, then you're going to be naturally progressing down that path towards maturity in Christ. And the more time you spend with Jesus through some of these things like spiritual practices and disciplines we talk about on a regular basis, then the more that that desire to become like Jesus is going to grow inside of you. This isn't just, okay, what are the good things that Jesus did? I'm going to try my hardest to do those things. It doesn't really come from that. It actually comes from Christ inside of you. It actually comes from those desires that he is building and building inside of you, and they naturally pour out in a life that looks like Jesus. The good news about Jesus ought to result in becoming like Jesus. So we see Paul's point here, like this is his whole purpose in writing to the Ephesian church here, is that they would know how to behave within the household of God. And then notice what he says about the household of God, okay? Again, same verse. I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is what? The church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So the household of God, the family of God, is the church of the living God. That's one of the reasons why we try to become like Christ, why we try to make our behavior and our conduct match up with his, is because this is a holy space. This is a holy place. And not, I'm not just talking about the building, I'm talking about you. You are a holy space and place where God himself, as the New Testament says, dwells. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God is living here among us. 
Now, sometimes people want to separate um, God from the church, especially in our day and age, right? Everybody's walking away from the church. They might not be walking away from God, but they're walking away from the church. That's not possible because the church is where the living God is found. It doesn't say uh, the living God is found in a podcast. It doesn't say the living God is found in a book club or a YouTube channel, right? The church is found. The living God is found right here in the church. Remember, he's not talking about this building, this place, so it's a, it's a beautiful place to worship God. He's talking about us. God is right here in our midst today. That is truth. That is the reality. And what does Paul call us, the church of the living God? He calls us a pillar and buttress of the truth. Okay, what's a buttress? I mean, seriously, anybody using that term these days? Maybe engineers and architects. But besides the rest of us, you know, there's some 10-year-old boy brain potty humor jokes coming up. But besides that, a buttress is a defense. It's a support uh, that reinforces, that increases the strength of a structure. Uh, Check out these images to kind of create a mental image for you. The first one is of a cathedral, right? It has a vertical buttress on the outside there that's defending, that's supporting the main structure. And then that has those flying buttresses. Didn't know they could fly, but they're flying, connecting one piece of the building to the other, reinforcing, increasing its overall strength. Uh, second picture is this of a dam. So those uh, pillars that are poking out there, those are the buttresses holding up, supporting, reinforcing the dam. And that's exactly what we are to the truth. That's exactly what the church of the living God is to the truth. A pillar, a buttress, a reinforcement, one who defends and reinforces the truth. And so where is truth found? It's not out there in culture not in a podcast or video blog or YouTube video. It's not even in the ivory towers of higher education. It's found right here, Paul says, in the church. Now, I'm not against those things, podcasts, YouTube videos, higher education. I love podcasts. I go through a lot of them. In fact, I was going through so many of them, I'm like, I need to switch over to audiobooks because I need something better for my mind. Um, So I switch over to audiobooks primarily. But podcasts are great. You can learn a lot from them, but you can also easily find podcasts that will lead you away from God. Uh, Whether they're just blatantly not Christian and just leading you further and further from the truth, or whether they say they're Christian or they're like spiritual or whatever, and that's actually leading you to a dark place as well. I'm also a huge believer in higher education. I truly believe in it. Um, I have my undergraduate degree, went on to get a seminary degree. But how many seminaries and places of higher education have strayed far from the gospel? Um, even those who began as places where the gospel was supposed to be taught so that it could go out into the world, Se- uh, seminaries have become, some of them have actually become cemeteries where your faith goes to die, okay? I've seen that. Um, think about this, some of our founding universities, almost all of them are founded by Christians for the gospel. Um, you think of 
Harvard, right, which had, like, their slogan was about Christ and about truth about Christ. They've removed that. It's just truth, which, what is that? Um, Yale started kind of in a, as a response, ironically, uh, because they saw Harvard starting to go away from the gospel. And so now they're like, yeah, we're going to start for the gospel. Well, look at these two founding universities in our country. They look just as relativistic and pluralistic as the rest, right? They have straight away from their original intent, which is the gospel. There was a graduate student who was on our young adult retreat back in March, and she uh, started her graduate program at a local Christian university here last year. And I was asking her, you know, how's that been going? What's it like? And she said, you know, it's it's uh, different than I thought. She goes, I started hearing some kind of interesting things from my professors, and so I just went up and asked a few of them, like, do, do you believe in Jesus? And she got two answers. One of them was either, well, you know, he, he's a way, right? Pluralism. Or no, I don't. That's a Christian university, right? Those are the professors. Like, who are you listening to for truth? That's my question to you. Who are you listening to when it comes to the truth? The living God is right here in his truth, or right here in his church, which is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Osvaldo Padilla, fantastic name, says, the church is a bulwark, so that's another way of saying buttress, of the gospel and that it defends and it is also the place where the gospel is found in preaching. It defends the gospel, and the gospel is found in a preaching. So the church surely upholds all truth from Scripture, right? That's like one of our main jobs. But what Paul is likely more specifically referring to here is the truth of the gospel, okay? That's, uh, we see this language of the truth in, in relation to the gospel in 1 Timothy chapter 2, which we've already been in. It says, this is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that is a saving truth. That is the truth of the gospel, the power of, the, of God for salvation to everybody who believes. That's the truth we're talking about here. It is the gospel. And in this next section, in this next verse, um, Paul takes us deep into the gospel. And this is beautiful. Pick up your text again in 1 Timothy 3.16. It's a powerful verse. It says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, of our faith. He was manifested in the flesh. This is about Christ. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. So this beautiful passage about Christ is likely an early hymn that the church would have known, that they would have been singing on a Sunday morning, proclaiming this truth about the gospel of Jesus. And the centrality of Christ that is in this early hymn is something that needs to be emphasized and re-emphasized week in and week out of any Christian church, any gospel-believing church. And this is the opposite of what the false teachers are doing in Ephesus. They are under-emphasizing 
Christ and the gospel. And that's how you can kind of tell whether a church is true to the gospel or not. Are they emphasizing Christ and his work on the cross week in and week out? I remember one of our former volunteer worship leaders, uh, amazing guy and his family, they came to Hill City right when we started five years ago. Uh, and he was telling me, one of the first times I met him, he, he was telling me uh, that when he first came, his first Sunday, he just wept through it. He wept through that Sunday. I said, why, why was that? And he goes, it was the first time in three years that I had been in church and heard the gospel. I, I, almost, I, like, I, I couldn't really believe it. I was like, seriously? Like, how, how does that work? What is a church without the gospel? And he was telling me that he was um, helping volunteer lead worship at another church and trying to like steer that church towards the gospel. But the, the main leadership and the main preacher, that's not what they were about. They were more about what we talked about earlier, this behavior modification gospel. Uh, it's really possible to go to church and to not hear the gospel, apparently. I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, this is what is likely happening in Ephesus. Uh, we must emphasize Christ and him crucified. And so this is what the rest of that uh, Christ him says. It says he was manifested in the flesh. So these false teachers, they're probably um, underemphasizing Christ's deity as well as his, in, as his incarnation, that he was manifested in the flesh. Jesus Christ has always existed as God equal to the Father and to the Spirit. And then Jesus willingly humbled himself uh, to become human human, uh, to die on a cross for us, uh, to become the word made flesh and to dwell among us, as John 1 says. So back to Lifeway Research, 55% of Americans believe that Jesus is the first and greatest created being. Okay, we don't throw the word heresy around lightly. That is straight up heresy, okay? That is like one of the earliest heresies and likely one that is being taught by these false teachers. That's one that's strongly believed today by LDS, by Jehovah's Witness. It is completely false. Um, the false teachers are likely saying that Jesus, maybe, he's, maybe they're saying he's not fully God or that he's some type of created being. They might also be saying that Jesus did not actually manifest in the flesh that he did not actually um, become incarnate. Uh, from the context of the letter, it seems like they have these views more like from Plato or Gnosticism that says all physical matter, all the things that you see, touch, feel, all physical matter is evil. The only thing that is truly good and pure is spirit, right? That's kind of the idea and the mindset. And so they probably, these false teachers, are probably thinking, well, if Jesus came in a body, which is matter, then that's evil, and that can't be right, except that it is. Um, Jesus came in the flesh, and that is goodness. Um, Paul, in this hymn, and the rest of the New Testament, upholds that Jesus Christ is God, and that he was manifested in the flesh. And then next, it says this. It says that he was vindicated by the Spirit. 
And this is talking about his resurrection, right? So when Jesus Christ resurrected back to life from death in the grave, when he resurrected back to life, this substantiated every claim that he had made, every claim that the Old Testament had made about him, over 400 Old Testament prophecies, they all were substantiated in the resurrection of Jesus, by his resurrection, we know this is true. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. So this is likely referring to two different things. Could it be referring to that Easter Sunday morning, the very first one, when Jesus is resurrected and those angels are standing there at the tomb telling the disciples this, right? Um, it's also in reference to the angels, the angelic realm, the angels in heaven worshiping before God's throne. As Jesus is resurrected, ascended, glorified, they are praising, they are worshiping uh, as Jesus is seen by angels at his glorification. He's proclaimed among the nations. He's believed on in the world. So the gospel has gone forth from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, to even here in Boise, Idaho. In the 21st century, 2,000 years later, the gospel has gone forward, which means it's effective the gospel is effective and powerful for salvation, reaching to the ends of the earth. And we have seen that in our own day with our own eyes. And he was taken up into glory. So that's referring to his, his ascension, where Christ ascended to heaven, where he took his rightful place at the right hand of the Father, where he's now ruling and reigning over the entire universe. That's the gospel. Philippians 2.9, uh, this is what it talks about the ascension. It talks about first his incarnation. Then it talks about him um, being crucified, resurrected, and then his ascension. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That, my friends, is the gospel. Amen? Amen. So what we see is that the false teachers in Ephesus are getting that all wrong. They are mixed up about the gospel. And they themselves are not only abandoning the faith, they're leading others to do the same. This is 1 Timothy 4.1, moving into chapter 4. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. And today in our 21st century, we see that in our Western context, we see that in full force, don't we? People walking away from Jesus. People walking away from their faith. Um, people deconstructing. People saying, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. People departing from the faith. However, even when it seems like everybody else is leaving or abandoning the faith, walking away, if we, if we zoom out just for a moment, if we zoom out to the rest of the world just away from our little context right here, we see the gospel going forward like wildfire in South America, in Africa, in Asia, in even the Middle East, where now Iran and Afghanistan are the places where the gospel is going forward, where the church is growing the fastest out of anywhere in the entire world. Iran and Afghanistan, okay? The gospel is going forward. And that's one of Paul's points, is he says, hey, even when it seems like 
people are leaving the faith, maybe it seems like the church is going to end. No, it is not. The church isn't going anywhere. In fact, the gospel is going forward around the world, and he gives them this reassurance. Now, what's most surprising about the abandonment of this faith is actually the forces that lie behind it all. I'll pick it up again, verse 1 again. It says, Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Did you hear that? <laughs> wow, I said we're going to be talking about demons. Here it is. Uh, this is something that's maybe a little bit hard for you to believe this morning. In our postmodern um, world that we live in, this often offends our modern sensibilities when we live in this uh, post-enlightenment era of reason. Though when I look around, I don't see a lot of reason, but apparently we live in an age of reason where all this nonsense about spiritual beings, evil beings, like that's a thing of the past. We don't do that anymore, talk about it anymore. Maybe, maybe if you're a Christian, you're like, maybe that happens down with a witch doctor in Africa, but besides that, that stuff is like, doesn't really happen. Okay, apparently it does right here in the Word of God, in Paul's teaching. The reality is that this spiritual reality is just as alive and well today as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus was walking the earth, when he was preaching the kingdom of heaven, healing people, and then casting out demons. That's like one of his main pieces of his ministry. And what Paul is saying is that these false teachers... They're not merely peddling their own ideas, philosophies, beliefs, doctrines. No, they're actually being used um, by demonic forces to teach the teachings of demons. And that's what's leading to people departing from the faith. Departing from the faith. So Paul's warning us, don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of the spiritual forces that are all around us trying to lead us away from Jesus. Do you remember Ephesians 6? Same church, right? Ephesians, Ephesus. Paul writes this to the same church. In Ephesians 6, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our battle is not against people, against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual realm, the spiritual forces of darkness that are trying to take you away from Jesus. And it is these spiritual forces of darkness that the human teachers... Right? These people who are teaching false doctrines are linking up with. It says this about those false teachers. 1 Timothy 4.2, it says, They are doing this through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Or as the NLT says, these people are hypocrites and liars. Their consciences are dead. So the enemy is working through human beings who are spreading false teachings, which are actually apparently the teachings of demons. 
So while the source of false doctrine has its source in evil spirits, the source of sound doctrine in the rest of this letter has its source in the Holy Spirit. That is a very sharp distinction. And Paul says that these, these liars, these false teachers, their consciences are now seared, like burned to a crisp. Like think of in like a branding, right, of an animal. Your conscience is your mental faculty where you have discernment and decision-making. Guess what? These false teachers don't have any spiritual discernment anymore, and they don't have good decision-making. And so here's the contrast for us to be aware of. Sound doctrine leads to a good conscience and results in godly behavior, while demonic doctrine leads to a seared conscience and results in ungodly behavior. That's the reality. Now, do you want to know what these demonic teachings were? Okay? Are you ready for the teachings of demons? Yes. Okay, here we go. Verse 3. They forbid marriage. They require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Two things they forbid, marriage and eating certain foods. That sounds crazy. That sounds demonic, right? Whoa. Right? Like, is that what you're expecting? No, you're expecting something more like human sacrifice, right? Like, that would be the teachings of demons, though it is. Here, he's talking about two things, marriage and eating certain foods. Basically, what it all comes down to is legalism. That is what these false teachers are teaching, and legalism is apparently teaching of the demonic, it's things you can't do, rules that prohibit you from God's good things that he has given to you. And that is often Satan's tactic. He just, you know, takes God's good things and he skews them, right? Or he tells half-truths about them and he lies. And isn't it interesting that the teachings of demons brings legalism, brings confinement, um, brings restriction, whereas sound doctrine in Christ, what does it bring? It brings freedom. It brings freedom in Christ. The enemy wants to trap you. Christ wants to set you free, amen? That's what he came to do. And that's what Paul's defense is in 1 Timothy 4, 4 through 5, finishing up our passage for today. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is, to re is, if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So these false teachers, they might be saying you can't eat certain meats. Maybe it's because they were sacrificed to idols in Ephesus, or maybe they're talking about some Old Testament laws that are no longer binding on Christians, like you can't eat bacon, you can't eat shrimp. You can't eat bacon-wrapped shrimp. That's one thing that I know if you're in the Old Testament. It's not going down. Actually, we were, uh, took our students um, up to a camp. It's a Seventh-day Adventist camp. They don't eat pork, and they don't eat shrimp. Uh, and so we're up there eating. Our students don't know this. And they're eating bacon, and uh, they're eating away bacon, eggs, potatoes. And the, the guy who's running the camp, he comes out, and he goes, the bacon is fake. You're eating fake bacon. And they're like, no, God, why? And they're just like losing their minds over this fake bacon. It wasn't that bad. 
I mean, it, it wasn't real bacon, so it wasn't that good. But nonetheless, um, it's not true. In the New Testament, Jesus declares all meats, all foods clean. And then that is reiterated in Acts with Peter's vision. Um, the denial of these good things that God gave us is a false teaching. And so in combating these false teachers, Paul gives them three reasons, three reasons why they can reject these demonic teachings, specifically about food. He says, number one, everything created by God is good, including food. Food is not to be rejected if it is received with gratitude and thanksgiving. God, thank you for this food. Thank you for this Big Mac. Bless it to my body. Number three, all food was declared holy by God's word and Jesus' own teachings, and we affirm that in our prayers. And so what the false teachers are prohibiting, Paul is permitting. What these false teachers are calling bad is what God has already called good. So who are you listening to? Are you listening to people like that? Listening to people who are actually peddling lies, actually teaching the doctrines of demons? Or are you going to listen to Christ because the reality is this, in order to become like Jesus, which we talked about earlier, in order to become like Jesus, we must listen to the truth of Jesus. It's really a dichotomy. Are you going to do one or are you going to do the other? Are you going to listen to the lies of false teachers or the truth of Jesus? Because what we've seen is this. False teaching, it actually leads to legalism, moralism, um, religion, constriction, um, what we see in Jesus, this is why I want this for you. What we see in Jesus is this, John 8, 33. Let me end with this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, he said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will do what? Set you free. May you enter into Christ's freedom today. Let's stand together. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be gathered together as your church, the church of the living God, where your truth is found. God, we pray that you'd convict us of the truth. Show us the truth. God, would you cast out all lies from our lives, from our minds, from our hearts, and may we receive your grace-filled love, loving truth here this morning. And God, I pray for those who are longing for salvation, people who are longing for truth um, to be found here today. I pray that the lost would be found. I pray that those who are far from the gospel or those who have heard gospels that aren't actually the true gospel would find it here today and receive it. I pray that those who've, whose minds have been led astray by the teachings of demons, that those would be gone, cast out from their minds, and that the truth from your Holy Spirit would fill them. God, we recognize your holy, powerful, and loving presence here today as we are gathered together as your people. We give you this morning in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. We're going to have a few minutes of response here. Um, if you would like to receive the gospel for the very first time today that we've been talking about, come to the front during this last song uh, as we have our prayer team up here, as me and Pastor Josh are up here. We would love to pray that for you. If you need to repent from sin and receive his grace, 
today is that day. If you need to turn from legalism or these things like behavior modification or religion, come receive prayer today. If you need to be delivered from these things, the doctrines of demons or any other form of demonic oppression, come receive prayer today. If you simply need the power, the presence, the peace and the love of Jesus Christ to fill you today, come to the front. Come receive prayer. Um, May we worship God right here, the church of the living God. Let's give Jesus everything we have in our worship. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.